Let's do this. Let's run to the Lord and let's get some help. And where does that help come from? Right here. So grab your Bibles and let's go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And I trust for those of you who are involved in small groups that you're running to the Word right at this moment is different than it's been maybe a month ago. I mean this very seriously. In our small groups here, we've got 15 small groups going on that are studying a series about how to study the Bible. And frankly, gang, on that, if I could change the title of that workbook, I would change it to this, How to Open Your Bibles. Because uh, oftentimes the thought of this is, is that these, this roadmap, these various things, these are only applied to where when I'm going to go do deep study in the scriptures or when I spend my hours during the week doing this. It's only for stuff that I do or if it's for really in-depth three-hour Bible studies, you're trying to figure out if Adam and Eve had a belly button and you're doing all this kind of deep Greek and Hebrew study and um, that's not the case. And I want to make sure that you understand that when we open your Bibles, every time you should be asking these questions. And so far in small groups, there's been four questions that have been asked. The first one is, observe the broad context. What's the broad context? That is, we are in the New Testament. We're not in the what testament? Old which testament are we in? We're in the New Testament. And we are in the book of? Titus. We're in the book of Titus. We are about 30 years after Christ died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. We're about 30 years after Acts 2 and the church began. We are at a point in time in history where the Apostle Paul and ministry partners like Titus and Epaphras and Timothy and and disciples are, are expanding the gospel around the globe, known globe at the time. And Gentiles are coming to Christ all over, and churches are beginning to be established. That's the broad context. Then the immediate context is we are on the island of Crete. Titus takes place on the island of Crete. Paul and Timothy, Paul and Titus have been there. Paul leaves Titus. He leaves Titus behind. Why? Because there are people who are coming to Christ in cities around the island. There are people who are coming to Christ and wanting to gather together because it's about God's body meeting together, God's family meeting together. And Titus is left there to help continue finishing off some things that need to be put in order to help that happen. So then we narrow it down even further. What's the primary passage at hand? Well, we're in Titus chapter 2, but the primary passage has an impact out of a result of Titus chapter 1, calling this series Full Throttle. Chapter 1 is about full throttle leadership. If a local church is going to be full throttle for Christ, it's got to have the kind of leadership and elders in place that are about teaching truth and about protecting truth. And listen, folks, we don't want this just to be a church, to be a church of people who play a game of church. We want this to be a real place with people with real problems and real struggles and real joys and real opportunities are together full throttle for Christ. Yet that requires that you have leaders that are in place. Chapter 2 starts talking about full throttle people in the church. That's us together. Full throttle people in the church. Let's do this. Let's go to Titus chapter 2 and now let's get down into the first couple of verses that we covered last week because the fourth, th- fourth thing is is that as you go through, you ask questions, you look at terms, are there things that are repeating and so forth, okay? Connection groups, you with me? Okay, I hope that helps you. I'm trying to do this so that you get the idea. Every time you open your Bible, you have to place yourself in the context and the setting of it. Otherwise, bad theology comes out when we just play around with it, okay? 
in Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, who's the, who's the you? Titus, okay, everybody's a chicken. So <laughs> who's the you? Okay, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, sound doctrine, this is a hinge verse from chapter 1. So he was talking about importance of sound doctrine. And now he says, Titus, you need to be teaching sound doctrine. And here's the sound doctrine that's about to come. It's not heady, just riffraff stuff that's up in the air, heady cloud thinking. It's real life. And that includes this, older men. You're to be sober-minded. You're to be dignified. You're to be self-controlled, sound in faith, and loving in steadfastness. We talked about that last week. Full-throttle men, older women, likewise, are to be reverent behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. I want to pause here just for a moment because I want to request a mulligan. I want to request a mulligan. Now, in golf, if you have a shot you'd like to do over again, you ask for a mulligan, or if you're in a tournament, you buy it because that's the way to make money. But I want to take a mulligan today. I want to just tell you a little bit of thinking that's because I'm in the process of learning various things here. And if you would have looked at how I set up this series and where I'm coming, last Sunday, where I titled it uh, Empty Nest Senior, or I'm sorry, Full Throttle Seniors on Older. Why did I title it that? Because the term older in the Greek, as we had talked about, refers to, in the scriptures, those who are 60 and older. That's generally the case. You look at extra biblical material, and it uses that word in the same context. Well, 60s and older, generally here in our culture, we think of we're getting into the seniors' territory. However, if you were to look at how I set the series up, I, I originally set it up to title last week as Full Throttle Empty Nesters. And I would like a mulligan, and I'd like to rename it that. And here's why. Because this week, as I've thought about this whole younger men and women, which is the, what were the thrust of today, so much of the context of that day was based ar around marriageable age and childbearing age. And so the 60s really came in from a standpoint of childbearing age. When a person hits 60s, they're usually not having children. They're usually the children are leaving the home. They're gone. So the older gets to that point of a person who's, if they've been married, a person who's had children, and then they're out of the home or right at that stage of home. And listen, here's what ends up happening. People that are at that stage oftentimes get to the stage. Karen and I are in that stage. I know we look like we're 22, but... We're in this stage to where, in essence, we've been raising our children, we've been having this going, and now our children are gone. Emily's back from Cedarville right at the moment. Luke's married and down in North Carolina. And we have additional free time. We can now do stuff with it. We have opportunities to do things. I'm just going to tell you, when we had kids, we couldn't do. I love it. It's a great point in time. But as I talked last week in our culture, oftentimes what happens is, is this stage of life ends up being, I put my time in, I did my stuff, I paid my social security, now I get to collect and have life be all about me. And listen, in a loving kind of way, that is so unbiblical. And in fact, here last week as we looked at this, older men, Empty nester men, empty nester women. Listen, this is the time for you and I to now shift from raising family. We love our family. We're still investing in a part of our family and our kids and all that. But we have a unique new opportunity to invest in the next generations to come. So my mulligan is changing it from empty nester seniors to empty nester. I'm sorry, full throttle seniors to full throttle empty nester. So here's what I want to do just real quick. If, if you are an empty nester or right on the edge of that, I, would you just stand? Uh, seriously, just stand, and I want to pray for us. 
if you're a senior or you're an empty nester where kind of the kids are out single, married, doesn't matter to me. Listen, I want to tell you something. I am thrilled that you are here because when we looked at the text, the text says we need you here. We're a kind of a, quote, contemporary ministry. And I am so glad you are here engaged. And listen, the people that are sitting around you, question, do we have a passion for them? I pray this church is the kind of church down the road that becomes known that it's got empty nester people and seniors, that they are so rockin' cool because they love the generation coming after them and invest in them. I want to pray for us. God, I want to pray that we would be the kind of people that are standing here before you as a way of just saying, God, we view this as a great time of life, a wonderful time of life to download the things we've learned things that we've seen successes in, things that we've seen failures in as a follower of you. Lord, I pray we'd be the kind of people that care deeply and sincerely about the generations to come. Lord, I pray for all those that are sitting that they would be the kind of people that want to place themselves around us so that together we can grow together for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat and let's jump into our text. Titus chapter 2. Let's pick up. Let me read verses. Uh, let me actually pick up verse 3. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Older Roman, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, Titus, and I think also here older men and women, likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Well, let's get going here. This is, this is a fun, cool passage. And ladies, you're up first. Um, first thing it talks about, chapter 2 and verse Four. It says, and so train the young women. Oh, by the way, before I go to the young ladies, the word train implies that there are people that are willing to be trainers. That's those who are standing earlier. That means that we have to be the kind of men and women at our stage of life where we actually are willing to place ourselves around people that are younger. Older ladies, this is specifically talking with you. Older ladies, are you willing? Are you interested? Are you making yourself available to place yourself around the younger ladies? Because what we're about to read is about telling about the things that you're to train them in and is also telling the younger ladies the kind of things they're to be. So I want to encourage you and I want to call you older ladies. Listen, don't do this. Don't think, I don't have anything to share. Oh my word. That is so not true. May I remind us of 1 Corinthians 11.1 where Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Listen, the focus of the passage is Paul is not saying, follow me because I'm like the ultimate dude on the face of the earth and I've got my act together. Paul is saying, listen, I am on this wonderful journey of following Christ. And I would like to invite you to come along with me as we together move ahead on this journey in following Christ. Listen, the objective, the focus, ladies, it's all about Christ. It's not about you. 
It's about you on the journey for Christ and grabbing one, two, three ladies along with you and being a team together and being women for Christ. That's the hope of it. You have so much to offer. Train the young women. That also requires that the young women, you've got to be available learners. I want to ask the younger women, are, are you a learner? I mean, do you want to learn? We oftentimes can say we want to learn, but we don't want to. I'd like to lose some weight, but... I'm not like doing the things to do that. Um, Are you a learner? Because a full throttle woman, one of the traits of her life is that she's moldable. The word here, train, has the idea of restoring one's senses. No insult. But I'd term it this way. Ladies, are you wanting and willing to be schooled? In other words, to be around some women who can help you, love you, encourage you, not preach at you and beat you, in a sense, but to enjoy the journey together, 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Are you moldable? Trait number one. Uh, by the way, remind, let's remember the context of the day. The context of the day was that there were many who were coming to Christ. So in that point in time, that meant that there were many women who were raised in a situation. They were not raised in a Christian home. They did not have Christian parents. They've never seen it modeled before in their life. So how is this not the best kind of way possible when this is brand new? And by the way, this is the case for some of you. What a better way to be able to learn. You're not on your own. You're not left to figure it out. Get some women around you that can help you learn what it looks like and what it is to be able to have a Christian home. It's team. It's about together. Many of them didn't have husbands that were on the Jesus Christ train. They're on their own. And yet it's still a call for them. Her life is moldable, number one. Number two, trait number two of a full throttle kind of adult woman. Her love is given at home. Notice there it says, train the young women to love their husbands and children. That's kind of interesting. When I first read that, because number four of doing Bible study is you look at words and ask questions about it. And I'm like, so what's the deal? Were they not like loving their husbands and children? Well, we've got to remember a very important verse from chapter one. Do you remember where Paul tells about how one of their own said of them that by trait that they are liars, wild beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's the culture of the day that these women and men have grown up in. And so they're there in this culture where life is all about them. And here it says, to love their husbands and children. It's speaking to women. It's speaking to married women. It's speaking to moms. But this word for love, this is not the, I feel love for you. I'm just telling you right now, my wife's right here, and I'm just, it's not this kind of thing. Oh, honey, I'm just feeling like, oh, man, I'm just like, oh, I'm feeling it. That's not the kind of love this is talking about. That's a great kind of love. But the kind of love that this is talking about is a sacrificial love. In other words, God has told me and God has told you, uh, wives, you're to love your husband. Uh, Moms, you're to love your kids. It's not when I feel like it. And here's the big part of this. In this word, it's a committed love and it's fits with an unqualified devotedness that is not based on a husband's worthiness or a child's worthiness or deservedness. You see, this is the point in time where it's like, oh, I'm supposed to give love to my husband, but (laughs) you don't know my husband. I mean, just straight up with you. He's hard to love. He's not given much love. Husbands, we can make our wives' jobs a whole lot easier 
we can help them along when we're loving them. But ladies, I want to tell you something. Even if my husband's not a loving husband, it doesn't disqualify you from what is being said here. You're to be a giver of love. But, 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 but Doug, how does any woman do that? It's hard. And I would say this. Think of Christ carrying the cross and sacrificing his life on the cross for people that were spitting on him, mocking him, cussing him out. And he was doing it for them. That's the driving reality. I can love people even who are unlovable. It's hard. It's hard. But I can love them because my Savior loves them. Oh, by the way, my Savior loves me. And I would pretty much say I am often an unlovable person to my Savior. But he still loves me. The point is she's a giver of love. She gives it at home regardless. Three, her ways are driven by truth. The term self-controlled, we're going to come up on this again with the guys. And it's interesting. It's a term that's used with the elders in chapter 1, verse 8. It's used just prior in verse 2 with older men. In verse 12, later on in chapter 2, it's used of all believers. And here in uh, the next verse, it's used of the young men. It's talking about being sensible, having a correct, disciplined outlook on life. Ladies, here's the perfect verse. By the way, guys as well. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. 2 Corinthians 10.5, write it down. It says this. Here's what self-controlled looks like. It says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive. Yep, that one right there. Take that one captive. Uh, And then the one coming in a while, take that one captive. Listen, a self-controlled life is a person who goes through life and realizes that life is a progressive, ongoing movement of a relationship with God. And it's the type of thing where everything that's happening is this moment and this moment and this opportunity. And this is an easy thing. This is a joyous thing. This is a very hard thing. Every thought. Take every thought captive to obey Christ and everything. That's self-controlled. It's a woman who is moving and living through life self-controlled. She's driven by truth, not by her feelings. Feelings are a reality of life. God has emotions. I'm not separating the two, but I am saying what's driving the truck? She thinks through life. She thinks through how she spends her money. She thinks through the use of her time. She thinks through her commitments. She thinks through handling difficulties. She thinks through serving others. Her ways are driven by truth. Number four in the text, we see the word pure. The word pure in verse five. Uh, Emphasis on a woman that's pursuing physical beauty. Now let me clarify that. She's She's pursuing physical sexual purity as her beauty. Her beauty is her purity. She's set apart for Christ. She's not a set apart walking romance novel or romance movie where everything in life is like supposed to be like Fabio or whatever type of a thing. If she's thinking through through life and she's set apart unto Christ, that's what cranks her up. Uh, it's a kind of woman who thinks Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is praiseworthy, she thinks on these things. By the way, ladies, with the purity, uh, I just want to ask you to, when you dress in the morning, is it the kind of thing that that becomes part of your 
mode of thinking. And let me ask you it this way. When you dress, uh, speaking as a guy and as a brother in Christ, when you dress, whose eyes are you trying to attract? We live in a pretty unmodest world. And oftentimes, uh, we can dress, all, any of us, guys too, we can dress in the kind of way where really what I'm about is I'm trying to attract the eyes of other people. I'm trying to foster the haughty factor and not the godly factor. I am not saying dress in sweats in a, a snow parka every day. That's not what's happening here. But I would say this. Are you thinking Philippians 4, 8 when you get ready in the morning? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is praiseworthy. She dresses on these things. 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4 tells us it's not all about the external. It's not about the hair, the jewelry, the clothing. Listen, I'm glad my wife takes the time getting all jeweled up and prettied up and all. And I love that. And that's not a problem. But it says in Philippians 3, 4, but her adorning is the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And this has hit me this week in thinking the time that I take getting ready externally for life, am I considering taking the time and getting internally ready as well? Because the beauty is about the purity. Fifth, her activities are about her home. Uh, This is an interesting one to me. Remember, the Cretans were known for being lazy. Okay, and here's the thing. It says, working at home. Now, Doug, is this the verse that says women cannot work outside of the home? Um, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not getting into that in detail, but I will say this. Life today is very, very different than life in 64 AD. The complexity of being able just to survive as a family is completely different. Completely different. Technology is a wonderful thing. Like grocery stores and like ovens that turn on and off. And a whole variety of things. Listen, life today in the home side of life is so much simpler today than it was back then. But I want to bring it to this point. The point I don't think is so much about, Doug, do you work at home or not? Let's get on that issue. This is about a hard issue. Here's the question. Her activities are about her home, are they? I'll say this. If you're a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home wife, stay-at-home woman, is your work at home your job or is it viewed as additional excess free time just to like hang i'm all about hanging i'm all about having fun but here in this it's not about being busy it's about being effective and i so appreciate my wife who i remember over the years talked about and has worked in teaching other women to be able to think about if you have children at home you think about that's your job and believe me i know it's an incredibly busy job it's an incredibly active job but i want to say this you think just not beyond survival of it and keeping them out from choking on you know the dog or something you're trying to raise them and are you using the tv or Facebook, or other things in excess to where the effectiveness, where really we could say, I think, out of this verse, are you working at home? I'll say this, ladies who are not working in the home but are working outside the home, the heart point is the same thing. In your work outside the home, are your activities really about the home? 
even your working outside the home should be about your home. The point isn't, can we work out and in? I don't think. The point is, is in the situation, are we workers? Remember, the Cretans were lazy gluttons. And so Paul knew this, and he needed to address this. We're to be women, you're to be working at home, effective at home. Her activities are about her home. Number six, her kindness is evident. She's kind. She's generally good and gentle and considerate and generous and sympathetic. She does what's good for others. Oh, by the way, this means that you actually have to be around other people. I cannot be kind and not be around people. You have to be engaged with people for kindness to be a reality. Ladies, are you working to be around people so that you can even just display kindness to them? So when you're out with them, you're not the one who's doing all the talking. Maybe turn the direction and me stop talking about me and my life and let me hear what she has to say because I want to draw her heart out and I want to show kindness to her and I want to hear where she's at so I can be a blessing to her. Her life is moldable. Her love is given at home. Her ways are driven by truth. Her beauty is her purity. Her activities are all about her home. And her kindness is evident. And last, number seven. By the way, ladies, you've got a list. Don't you? Before I hit this, young ladies, you're not in this alone. You've got other ladies around. And remember the context. Older women should be available in here to help you be this. Oh, by the way, that means that older women, you're to be living out these things as well. Let's go to the last one. Herself is yielded. Herself is yielded. Verse 5, she's submissive to her own husband. Oh, you are all so waiting to know where I'm going with this one in our culture, aren't you? Are we about teaching the scriptures around here? Absolutely. So let me teach you the scriptures on what this is talking about as I understand the scriptures. The word submissive, and it's not just here in Titus, it's in Ephesians 5 and other passages. It talks about subjecting oneself. It's about voluntary placing oneself under. The emphasis of the word is on the person. There's a responsibility of me placing myself under someone. Oh, here's a key, key verse, Ephesians 5.21. All believers are to be submissive to one another. This is not anything that's just for women. This is a reality in it that all of us are to be submissive to one another. Listen, this church, this life, everything going on, it's not about me. It's about others. It's about me engaging with others and you engaging. I want to submit to you. We're a part. We're a team in this. In this verse, Paul is telling about a woman that's a team player. She's all about her husband and the team. It's not her ways. Listen, when you walk, if you're married, when you walk down the aisle, or the day comes when you get married, and you walk down the aisle, there is a component of that walking down the aisle that is a funeral. I didn't even know about this, frankly, when Karen and I got married. Because oftentimes people are thinking the wedding is about, man, I get to come together because she's going to be about making my life so much happier. That's a great thing. But think about this. Maybe marriage isn't about my happiness. Maybe God's design was that it's actually about my holiness. 
And walking down the aisle means that I am giving up me and I am now in the process of betraying myself officially before everybody else for her. In fact, my marriage is supposed to be about, I am to be all about her, Ephesians 5, guys. And so when we look in this passage, it's about team. And ladies, you have an amazing responsibility. I'll put it together here. Think of Genesis 3.16. Genesis 3, sin has come into picture. Adam and Eve are created, they've sinned. There they are, and God comes up and uh, meets up with them after they've sinned. Not a high moment that I would want to be there at. And he talks to Satan, he talks to Eve, and he talks to Adam. And he addresses each of them and tells them of the consequences as a result of sin. There's some things that are going to happen. And as he speaks to Eve, he says this. He says to Eve in Genesis 3.16, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. As we read that in the English, I'm going to tell you, we, it just, we don't capture that in English, so I've got to unpack it a little bit. The word that's used for the women, it's the word that's used in Genesis 4-7, a couple chapters later. It's the same Hebrew word, and it's the word when God is talking to Cain. And God says to Cain, Cain, you better be careful because sin desires to conquer over you. That's the word. Now let's carry it over into Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Eve, here's the deal. When sin came into the picture, in the passages it says, it says, your desire shall be for your husband. It's not saying, because sin came into the picture, wives, you're going to be like, oh, I'm so excited about my husband. That's not what it's talking about. I just so desire him all the time because that Eve sinned. What this is talking about is saying this, Eve, because you sinned, your desire is going to be to want to conquer over your husband. Oh, and by the way, the statement to Adam, Adam, you know, he's going to rule over you, that's not a command to Adam. That is actually a statement saying, Adam, here's the problem as a result of sin. You're going to want to rule over her in an unchristlike kind of a way. Sin brought in what was a team. Sin brought in a battle. And now it's a place to where there's a fight for who's the winner, who's on top. And we've seen that ever since sin came into the picture. And it's no different in your home and it's no different in my home. The battle is there and ready to go. And so when we look at this passage, what's this talking about, submissive? It's saying this. Babe, would you stand up? Because husbands, in Ephesians 5, it says, Be like Christ and give yourself up for your wife. Now, in that passage it's talking, that word that's used there is the same word that refers to Judas betraying Christ. A proper translation is to say, guys, our job is to be like Christ and betray ourselves. Guys, God has a call for you if you're a husband. Betray yourself. Get over yourself. Oh, and ladies... The scriptures say this, get over yourself. Literally, I'm to betray and she's, if you will, to yield. Hey, babe, as time goes on, I just realize, man, I'm just, I'm just a selfish guy. And, I just, and, and yet I'm realizing the scripture tells me that I need to betray myself and I need to be all about you and lift you up and present you. 
No, but you, you do, but you, no, but see, you got to understand, no, I, I'm, I'm about betraying myself to you. No, I, I'm about you. It's no, don't, I please, no, no, I've got to be about you. No, it's all about you. Okay, that's the picture, as I understand it. Husbands, betray yourselves, and wives, yield yourselves. It's not the king slave. It's the Christ one and Christ one who is not about themselves. You know, married couples, this is a struggle, isn't it? Ay, 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 ay. I'm there with you. I just love me. <laughs> Are you that way too? No. Well, I got a lot further to go. That's the picture here, wives. I want to tell you this. Over and over in the last years of working with guys in particular, we're working with guys over the time, asking them, what's just this question in small groups of things over the last 10 years, it's been, guys, what has God called you to be? And here's the thing, it comes up every blasted time. And I say that because it gets me angry. This is because I'm supposed to be the leader. Okay, 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 I can be cool with that part of it, but it's the next part that is the confusion. Well, what does it mean to be a leader? Well, I'm the one that makes the choices. Excuse me, guys. Please go to Ephesians chapter 5, and would you read that passage, and you find in there where it's about making decisions. This is about a team yielding one to another. Betraying myself for her. My goodness, we're a team. I cannot think in the last 20 years of the time to where I've pulled out the husband card. We're a team in this. And we're working as a team in it. And yet we are uniquely created to be an effective, powerful team. As Christ, not sit, guys, you're not Christ on the throne. You are Christ walking to the cross. And ladies, you are like the church yielding yourself. Guys, we're betraying ourselves. And ladies, you are yielding yourselves. I've spent the additional time on that. I hope that helps you with that passage. What an incredible task, ladies. Now it's time to get to the guys. And there's one word. What is it, guys? Thank you. Way to go, Kenny. Guys, what's verse 6 say you're to be about? Guys, self-control. Why one word? I think it's this, because guys can only handle one thing at a time. <laughs> really? I mean, we're not always there. I talk to guys, it's like one thing at a time, man. I just love charging. I'm not that great of a multitask. You look at women. Women can multitask. So I think Paul, God gives the women seven things, and he realizes, guys, you know, we're not the sharpest pen and the crayon in the box. So it's like, I'm just going to give you one thing, and I'm going to speak it slowly. Guys, you're to be about self-control. Why would God have that in there? I think it's because that's the one we struggle with. That's the pinnacle point of things. Just, can I say this? Just look at in a classroom. Karen, I used to lead children's ministry years ago, and you work in a classroom, and there's all the you know, third grade girls that are there. They're so sweet and precious. You could just take a dozen of them home, and then you get to the boys. Ay, 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 ay. And you just go, self-control there is badly needed. Listen, guys, it's all about self-control. It, it's, it's, and it's urge to them. Urge them. Listen, guys, I strongly entreat you about self-control. Everything comes out of that. 
And understand this, self-control, it's continuous thinking. It's through life all the time. It's for a superior purpose. It's also 2 Corinthians 10, 5. He takes every thought captive. It's this, he betrays himself for that which is superior. He betrays himself for that which is superior. Listen, the Bible does not call you to go, <laughs> guys, I'm so sorry to say this, but like you've got to betray yourself of stuff. And uh, man, your life's going to bite. That's not what the scriptures talk about. The scriptures say this, listen, guys, if we want to be all about ourselves and we want to be all about our hobbies and all about our time, nothing's wrong with hobbies. Nothing is wrong with the other stuff. You know, yes, I have the most expensive toys in the house. I admit that, you know, you know, in the process, all of that kind of stuff. But yet in it, it's like if we live this way, living for self is a hard life. But when we live for Christ, when we betray ourselves and become all about him and live for something far superior. Oh, life may not be easy. Life may not be simple. But God says there's joy and there's purpose and there's peace and there's impact. Guys, the scripture calls you to betray yourself for something superior. Marriage is a covenant about betraying yourself. It pictures the sacrificial betrayal of Christ himself, of himself. Parenting is about betraying yourself. It's about putting off self for the benefit of your child. It's not being a child-centered home, but it is about loving them like the Father loves us. Uh, coming to Christ as our Savior. It's a betrayal of self. I'm walking this way, and this way stinks, and this way is rocking awesome good. Not easy, but good. Guys, I want to finish with two passages for you because we're very simple. We've got one statement here, be self-controlled. And I'd like for you to turn to Genesis 39 because the guy who is this is a Genesis 39 kind of a guy. Let's go there and let's see Joseph and then we're going to go to one other passage and be done. Genesis 39, story of Joseph. Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. He's taken to Egypt. He's purchased by Potiphar, a leader in Egypt, verse 1 of chapter 39. Now, Joseph, and this, is, this just shows self-discipline, self-control. Look at the story because we remember pictures. Verse 30, or chapter 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian. This was one big dude. And he had bought him from the Ishmaelites. He bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Verse 2. The Lord is with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he lie in his house, I'm sorry, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with Joseph, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight, and attended him, and he made uh, him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. Listen, uh, God put him over charge. This is a big, major position. Jump down to the next paragraph. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He was a stud monster, all right? Look at verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph, and she knew that he was a stud monster, and said, Joseph, no one's around. It's just you and me. Come on, baby. I'm not trying to be unnecessarily graphic, but folks, this was just not a, what are you doing? Whatever. And we'll see that even more so. Verse 8, but he refused 
and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself. Because you are his wife. By the way, did you see? His responsibilities came into picture. His perspective of who she is. Not just a, not just a body, but a person and her responsibility. And look at the last part. How then can I do this great wickedness? He ran it through the perspective of truth. He saw that this is sinful in God's eyes. And how can I sin against my God? Do you see the personalness there? This is about life living in a relationship with the Savior. How can I do that? Oh, we got to keep reading. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, oftentimes that's left out of understanding the story. And he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. Do you see this, guys? I'm talking about in the realm of personal purity and sexual purity, but I'm also relating this to the reality of how we see life. This is self-control. Someone who sees life, not just as it's happening, but he sees life always as an opportunity to honor the Lord or to not honor the Lord. And there he is in this moment, day after day after day after day after day after day, she's coming and going, come on, baby. And this guy's been living a slave alone. And I just want to say this, after day after day after day in that setting, I wonder what I would have done. Guys, in the pattern of your life, in how you view and handle life and the enticements and opportunities of life, let me ask you this. What would you have done day after day? I think God knows the answer to that. And I think that's why Paul writes in this letter, guys, be self-controlled. This is the heart of it for men. And I want to finish up with one last verse. Go to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. This is a guy verse. This is a sports verse. Here we go. So guys, when you think of self-control, think of Joseph. Think of Joseph. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Paul is talking about, I love Paul's just honesty and just straight up reality. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it, guys. Verse 25, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. It's not just about on the track. It's about practice before getting on the track. It's about eating. It's about life. It's about when you wake up. It's about everything of life drives the athlete in this situation and in this illustration. They do, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. Uh, but we are, imper- are an imperishable. There's a purpose behind it. And it's an eternal purpose. So I do not run aimlessly. In other words, you got this picture. You think of an athlete just running slick. I can't, but <laughs> running slick. And just you see the things going. And then running aimlessly is like this. Ah! That's aimlessly. And I just want to say, that's an unself-controlled guy running through life. Ah! That's truly the picture that Paul's trying to give here. And you go, just like you're thinking now, you are such a dork. 
And that's Paul's point. And that's Paul's point. I do not, verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Ladies, we love you. We're for you. We're with you. We want to be a church that helps you. And older ladies, you want to be the kind of ladies that love them and help them and mentor them. Guys, we love you. We understand the struggles of life. We know about it. We're not a perfect people. We're an imperfect people pursuing after a wonderful, big, gracious Savior. And we need each other to do that. That's a full throttle kind of church. Let's pray and finish off. God, I want to thank you so much just for your love for us. I want to thank you for your patience with me. I want to thank you for your patience with us. Lord, we have a high call. We have a high call for those who know Christ as their Savior. And that's to be men and women, young, old, that are walking through life purposed. Father, I pray for the young women here. I would ask that, Lord, you would raise up young women who love you and who live you. Young women who want to be learners. Young women who engage themselves with others who can help. Young women that are impassioned to live the characteristics of a great big God and a great big Savior. Oh God, I pray for the young women here that this place, these women would bring you great honor and joy. And Lord, I pray for the men here. A, a, A church in a nation without men that are passionate about Christ is a nation and a church that will fall. And generally for us guys, it's because in all reality, we're undisciplined in life. And we all know what that is. This isn't a guilt trip. This is a reality call. We're undisciplined oftentimes in our time with you, in our time with our spouses for those that are married, time with our kids. We're so often undisciplined with the things that we want to do. We'll spend more time watching the tube than we will investing in our home. Again, it's not a guilt trip. Lord, it's an opportunity trip that oftentimes we get off track. May we be men that love you on purpose. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.